season three, banana. Season three, banana. Somehow they made it to season three, banana. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C with Blanche and John, the crew with new movie. It's so much fun that you'll have to pee. It's gonna cure your apathy and ennui. It's the Slum Gullians. Still booking guests on the Slum Gullians. You're not getting guests on the Slum Gullians. And welcome to the Slumgullion, America's only podcast. Reporting from Los Angeles, I'm Scott. While in Ohio, Jeff is maintaining the Midwest's reputation for niceness and courtesy. Fuck you. (laughs) I was so desperately hoping you were going to pick up on that. All right. (laughs) With a softball like that. I wasn't worried. I'm just saying I was hoping. And joining us for this segment is Mary, Mrs. C herself, who's missed the last few new movie crew outings due to a faulty microphone. But she's Yay! Here. Not the faulty microphone, but the fact that you're back. Yay! Yes. She's here today. She's going to set us straight on a few things we've been apparently getting quite wrong all these years. Welcome, Mary. Hi. I should so, be in Ohio. Just... I'm the nice one. <laughs> oh, no, trust me. We're, no, we aren't that nice in Ohio. All you have to do is look at our politics right now. We're not that nice. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> I don't know, actually, that people complain about not, not L.A. rudeness. It's the sort of solipsism and narcissism in L.A. But really, think how less nice we would be if we didn't have legal pot. Oh, Lord. That's true. Oh, Lord. Thankfully, we now have it. Oh, do you? Congratulations. We actually have a dispensary open about five minutes away from my old house. And what life-threatening conditions do you have that you've just suddenly noticed? Oh, oh, um, I told my doctor that if I don't smoke pot, I will be a serial killer. So um, that was more psychological than physiological, but it was acceptable. All I had to say is, you don't understand, most serial killers want to be caught. I would, I do not want to be caught. I will be a very good serial killer. Keep me stoned. I can't think of any successful serial killer that's ever been stoned. Everybody has the egocentric, I I want to get caught so I can tell my story to the world. I say, fuck that noise. I don't want to tell my story to the world. I want to keep killing. I don't know. I don't know. But after you've killed to a certain point and gotten good at it, I mean, you're like, well, this is great, but nobody knows how awesome I am except me. Well, no, what you do then is, you know, I mean, when you when you are old and you're living and you're living in, you know, assisted living and you have to change your and you need a new colostomy bag, that's when you bring in a, a young reporter type guy and you do an interview with the vampire thing. Oh. Uh, if you wait too you know, long, this- they're just going to go, oh, Grandpa now. he never killed co-eds in the Midwest in the 80s. That didn't happen. That's why you keep the trophies. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Gramps, yeah, why have be- we been paying for this self-storage all these years? What do you possibly... Let me show you, Sonny Boys. Mom will be able to use this freezer once we clear it out. I can just <laughs> imagine the storage uh, wars that end- that actually... <laughs> oh, why did I bid on this? <laughs> and now that the FBI is going to come knocking on my door... Bin number two had an original Margaret Keene painting. Dad, I've got a, I've got a collection of spleens and ears. <laughs> I'm probably going to be in custody in the next few weeks, Scott, so good luck finding a new co-host. Yeah, well, load up on that pot. You know, (laughs) I was stoned, officer. Do you really think I would have gotten off the couch? I guess not. I was eating Cheetos and watching Doom Patrol. (laughs) Give me a break. Now that, that is an ironclad alibi I would like to see on SVU. (laughs) Yes. 
I haven't watched SVU in so long. If you have seen one, I you've literally you've literally seen every episode. Now, Mary, you still watch it? Oh, I watch it only when it has Christopher Maloney in it. Uh, you oh, you see, you see, that was the thing. I I stopped. I stopped when Christopher Maloney left because a Finn and Munch should have been like the main characters after Christopher yes. Maloney left. Agreed. I was pissed about that, and they gave Christopher Maloney no goodbye. He did not get a final scene with Benson. Fuck that noise. Exactly. That's when I quit the show. I have not watched it since then. And besides, Christopher Maloney's unhappy now, so I'm happy. And that's and that's also a fun show. But anyway. So, Mary, you had something you what you just it's burning deep down in your soul and you'd like to uh, Well, I have yeah. a problem. I have a problem. Testify, sister, testify. I will watch the Brendan Fraser, The Mummy, like nightly when Scott is gone. That's what I watch. And I've always wondered why it is that I will watch that one all the time. How many times have you seen The Mummy? Oh, my God. Can you count it? <laughs> I can't. Let me let me give you some context. This weird obsession with her watching The Mummy <laughs> nightly w- when I'm out of town started before we were married. It started in 2003 yeah. when I was in Mobile doing Frankenfish. Yes. Whoa. Really? I, I even call him like, how do I work the DVD in the bedroom? I don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm in a meeting, honey. No, I need to know. Jesus. I need. <laughs> and then every night, every night, that's that was my nightly routine. Now, did you see The Mummy in the theaters when it came out? Yes. Or was this, okay, so you'd already seen it. Uh, yes. Okay, all right. Now, when you saw it in the theaters, I'm, I'm being very psychological. I'm trying to figure this out. This is good. When, when you saw it in the theaters, um, did you have an immediate, oh, my God, this is the great, like like me when I was seven and saw Star Wars, was it, one of the, like, was it like a revelatory experience for you? It was like me when I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. Really? Yeah, it was, I went, oh, this is fun. I love this. It wasn't life changing. Oh, fair. I He's saw, handsome. I saw it with you. you yes, you did. You weren't. You were I was stunned. So. You, you, I was no, you, stunned, you but I was it. happy. I liked it. But there was no indication at the time we saw the movie. It, it was just another fun summer film. There, there was no indication that you were having some sort of mental breakdown. Well, no, that happened later. So, no. It was the romance the... of it. I think the <laughs> romance of it is what, and I was missing you, and there was no romance, and there we go. Here yeah. is the next question. Now, do you feel the same way about the mummy two and the mummy the tomb of the dragon emperor, or is it just the first one? Just the first one. Just the first one. Now, can you quote the dialogue along with the cast? Uh, I haven't tried it, but I think I could. So, uh, so like the next time Scott is gone and you and you pop in the movie to to make yourself feel better, um, you could sit there and recite the entire film with all the actors. Pretty much. Okay, I gotta stop that accent, otherwise I will keep doing it for this entire segment. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, basically, so this this whole show has devolved into one of those true crime podcasts because it's so far it's all about serial killers and mummy obsessives and drugs. And, it could have SUV. been a Doctor Phil like podcast. So you count your lucky stars. No, because we're, we're hoping you get some help. All right, here's what we're gonna do. I know how to fix your problem. I don't have a problem. But I know how to fix it. I don't have a problem. But I know how to fix it. What you got to do is, what you got to do is you got to sit down and you got to watch the Tom Cruise moment. Oh, God, no. (laughs) That's not going to happen. I don't want to fix this problem. Feel the pain that I felt. (laughs) I refuse. Well, one thing I was thinking was like, well... Why do I like this mummy better? Do I like it better than the Boris Karloff mummy? I 
I like it for different reasons. Well, I was going to say, those are two very, very different films. I mean, you, extremely you, you, different. You brought up Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's actually a kind of a very good analogy. I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, Karloff's mummy is very um, brooding, whereas uh, Arnold Bosloo's mummy is um, not. <laughs> no, that's well, he's gross to start, but then he gets kind of handsome and more handsome and more handsome. But I don't even, his character is not my favorite in the Brendan Fraser mummy. And I think. It's weird. It's like a dichotomy. To me, the Karloff mummy, it's the only interesting character in that movie. <laughs> Everybody okay. else are jerks. They're just like dithering and, what am I going to do? And he knows what he's going to do. He's very, he's very purposeful. So I like his character. In the Brendan Fraser mummy, you know, Vosloo's fine. I like Benny a lot. Benny's hilarious. I like Rachel Weisz's character, Evie. Evie. I like Jonathan. And I like uh, O'Connell. And I like... I don't even know what Oded Fair's character is. But okay, I, like I was just about to ask. Is Oded Fair? In, I couldn't remember if he was actually in the the first one or if he popped up in the second one or not. He did. He was in the first one and he popped up in the second one. I think he went, yeah, he was like Rachel Weiss for the third one, like, no. I'm still trying to figure out in the third one, sorry to, to, to branch through the uh, trilogy here, but I'm still trying to figure out in the third one how their son grew like 18 years while Brendan didn't age a day. It's called soap opera. Oh, it okay. It's a soap opera age. It was one of those things. I gotcha, I gotcha. Now, I have to admit, when when, when I, I vaguely remember um, seeing this version of The Mummy when it came out. I have seen it a couple of times since then. Not as many as you, I have to say. But <laughs> no. um, I, I have seen it a few times since then. But I do remember when I saw it in the theaters, actually, really, I kind of had this, I had a very much a, well, shit kind of reaction to it. And this was, it was a lot more fun than I was expecting it to be. Mm. I had the same reaction because I, I am also a fierce partisan of the um, 31 Mummy with Karloff. And, and I agree. He's a, a terrific monster. He's polite, articulate, soft-spoken, and yet utterly commanding and menacing in every scene he's in. But they illustrate and bring to life the element of Imhotep's character in the Karloff movie that they insist on but never really show in the Fraser mummy, which is yeah. that he is he is a scholar, repository of long dead and dangerous forbidden knowledge. He is a high priest. The interesting thing about the mummy is when you said it, you're right. The Brendan Fraser mummy is basically a film that wouldn't exist without Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's not a, necessarily a ripoff, but it's definitely influenced heavily by it. The Karloff mummy, I've always felt, is more like an Edgar Allan Poe story. Ooh, it's, yeah, that's yeah. good. I mean, it's drenched in shadows, and it oozes themes of possession and love. Obsession. Obsession, loss, love surviving beyond the grave. It's more of a, it's more of a, of a 19th century Gothic poem. Whereas The Fraser Mummy is very much a summer movie for the new millennium. And much like the original Karloff Mummy, the sequels got um, less and less interesting as they went on. <laughs> this is true. We have seen many of the Karloff uh, sequels. No, the, the, the sequels to The Mummy, it, it was a weird thing because The Mummy was a big hit, but Karloff wasn't in, uh, you know, an immediate cash grab. Unlike the Frankenstein movies, they didn't start cranking not up or the, the or Dracula. Uh, there weren't actually there were not actually a lot of Dracula movies. Frankenstein was the was the one that had the most, and and the Invisible Man. The second wave of mummy uh, films that were part of the Universal uh, horror cycle really didn't crank up until the forties. That's and, okay. I was going to ask. I thought it was like the late forties. That's what I was thinking. And by then, the mummy is the mummy as we 
know him in popular culture, which is this sort of shuffling, shuffling. slow, silent, rag-wrapped, relentless monster. Very, very different than Karloff's mummy. Karloff is a sorcerer. He's not just an animated corpse. He is that. But he's not. Just he starts out like that, but he. Uh, that's the thing that was kind of interesting is that when he first wakes up, you know, it's scary. There's no more. Fright- <laughs> there's no more frightening scene than when the, it's you, a corpse. Yeah, the when you just subtly see, and and it's the subtlest change possible. He doesn't reach out and grab the guy who's standing over the sarcophagus. You just see a faint glimmer in in his eye, and what had previously been just a dead socket. Oh crap! He's back. <laughs> now I will say also getting this I mean I also have a, a, a comfort film actually I, I have a comfort trilogy I, I could say um, now Brian, for me for me it's when I'm very 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 depressed okay and when I, I not it's it's not a it's not a missing just when I'm when I'm in a fuck the world fuck the universe I just want to sit here and just I will put on either airplane or top secret mm. you like the comedies well for, for, well it helps well, me get out of my yeah the the, the, the early or, or police squad really the the early Zucker brothers mm-hmm. um that will It may not cure my depression, but it always, always makes me feel a little bit better. It's like eating a bunch of ice cream. Yes, yes, exactly. It's 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 a it's a ninety minute Ben and Jerry's cornucopia of goodness. And I mean, I do know I can I can quote every line of Airplane. I can quote almost every line of Top Secret and Police Squad. I admit depends on the episode, but I, I am. I think everybody. I think everybody has at least one comfort film. What about you, Scott? Uh, mine change, but you mean there isn't like one film that you that 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 you know backwards and forwards that always just puts like a little gives you a little warm fuzzy. There's lots of them. There's lots of. Yes, yeah, so you remember. I didn't really have parents. I was raised by right. a revival house. Right. So there are films that I would see every time they ran at the Balboa Cinema. I probably wound up seeing Casablanca. I'm not exaggerating. Over 25 times. I've seen David Abdot, Casablanca, The Big Sleep, The Maltese Falcon more times than I've seen all the Star Wars films. I Those the are one good choices. I, I like. Them. I can't even count. I could not even, like you are with the mummy, I can't even count how many times I've seen A New Hope. Nor can I. I mean, that that number is also ridiculous. I'm sorry. It's called Star Wars. I know. I I agree with you on that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm being nice to all the younglings out there who don't understand that for a year there was no episode four. Don't be nice to the younglings because they're going to get beheaded. They're all going to be, they're going to be wiped out. So don't give them false hope. Oh, <laughs> so like the, the fan after Phantom Menace, uh, what was it called? I forget, but that should have been called a false hope. <laughs> I'll, I'll go along with that. Yeah, it's it's funny because the, the, the one thing I thought of, I, I mean, people gasped and were horrified in the theater in that scene where you don't you don't even witness it. But, it but is it's awful. I'm mistakenly implied that a fallen Anakin murders all of the younglings in the Jedi Temple. And all <laughs> I was thinking about was runs up to him and goes, Master, Master Anakin, help. Oh, yeah. I'll help you. I'll help you, kid. <laughs> I'll help you separate that head and that neck. But uh, it's uh, it's just, I was going, oh, so this is how George Lucas actually feels about all these kids who've been bugging him all these years. <laughs> this is how you really feel about the children. They're just there to buy the toys that enrich you. But if they actually try to have personal contact, 
You want their their heads lopped off. Okay, George, you're a horrible person, but I always knew that. This just confirms it. <laughs> okay, since we're talking, I still, I still vividly remember. I watched this because I think they aired it at one time. I can't remember the year it happened. But um, it was George Lucas talking about how it was like before Congress talking about how you shouldn't colorize movies and how you shouldn't alter films. Oh, what a hypocrite. But you know what I'm talking about? Do you, yes. do you remember yeah. the, the, the speech that I'm talking about? It was a very impassioned speech. And I remember it was very, very, very well worded. And then I remember when the when the special editions came out, I just started thinking, really? You altered the crap out of them. Here's the difference. Here's the difference from George. It's his work. It's his work. Right. I, because what they, sure his money for, thinking. what they were arguing for, uh, this is when Ted Turner was colorizing. Yes, all of that's right. everything. Because uh, he Turner classic movies was actually showing colorized versions of classic films and people were saying you can't do that that completely runs counter to the which is the the artist a lot of these films especially the classics were photographed by directors of photography who were known for their black and white cinematography that 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 is an art form in and of itself when you're completely disrespecting it and the answer from the copyright holders was basically well they, they were work for hire people they don't own these films we do and so Lucas and other filmmakers, from his, a lot of them from his generation, that generation of filmmakers who grew up on films in the 40s and the 50s and came of age in the late 60s and the early 70s, and that whole new wave of cinema, and who were then, who were, uh, because of that, steeped in the auteur theory and the rights of the artist, and that these people, these people should have some sort of veto over changes made to their, even if they don't have a legal position. But there was a kind of a hue and cry among, in the film fan community so moral pressure was brought to bear and that the whole colorization thing lost a lot of steam as a movement people thought oh this is how we're going to make these films relevant and in fact respecting the films taking them on their own terms became the new relevance so i think it was ultimately a good thing lucas would say these are my films i am i not only give permission but this is my idea to make these changes and i would accept that if that's as far as he went but he he copped out by telling the obvious lie that no this is what i would have done at the time if i had the money yes Bullshit, George. Bullshit. You, <laughs> I saw what you did, you, you could do, and a ton of what you wanted to do was cut out by your wife, who thankfully saved your film by re-editing. Don't tell me what you would have done. A lot of what you would have done was crap. Well, you are allowed to do whatever you want to do, i.e. The Phantom Menace, it's crap. Hell, the original script for Star, for, for, uh, Star Wars was... Uh, uh, I have it, I have one. You have one of those scripts? Yes. Oh, my God. That, that, I, I, I read it once. And I laughed my ass off. I remember Dark Horse did a uh, comics adaptation of that script. Oh, hilarious. It is. I it's really freaking it. funny. Because there's like a, like a breakfast club scene in there where the rest of the cool teens hanging out at wherever they hang out are teasing Luke. Oh, right. They call him uh, Wormy. Wormy. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I, oh, I'm not even talking that one. I'm not even talking about that scene at Tashi Station. Yes, I remember That's Tashi, Tashi Station. Station. <laughs> yep, yep. No, I mean back when, back when, when it was Anakin Starkiller. Oh yeah, I have that. No, okay. Not Anakin okay. Starkiller. No, it was Luke Starkiller. I have the Luke Starkiller. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the one before that, it was Anakin Starkiller. Journal ah. of the Rose. Oh yes, 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 yes. Just <laughs> speaking of speaking of unproduced screenplays getting new life. I don't know if you heard about this or not, but um, okay, I'm sure both of you know about the um, 
torturous uh, development of Alien 3 and how it went through like several, like many, many different scripts, many different ideas before they actually settled on one. Well, uh, a very popular well, one that gained popularity once it got leaked on the internet was written by a, a writer named William Gibson. Oh, yeah, the uh, cyberpunk guy. Yes, and it was, and in his version, it was uh, like uh, Hicks and Bishop were actually the two, really the main characters of his version, and not Ripley and Newt. Well, um, there, the, um, I, can't, I can't remember which company is doing it, but there is an audio dramatization of William Gibson's original script featuring Michael Bean and... I can't think of his name, Lance Henriksen. Wow. That is being released. I, 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 it's being released relatively soon. I'm pretty sure it's done. Oh, oh great. Think- you can enjoy the acting stylings of Michael Bean. <laughs> <laughs> All I've heard about recently of Aliens is that some uh, high school did apparently an amazing... Oh, it's online. You, got, you have to watch it. The entire <laughs> thing's on YouTube. I was talking to my twin from different genetic material about it, and... Um, the way I described it is, okay, it's very much a high school show, so go in knowing that, but holy fuck, it's incredible. Sigourney Weaver saw it. Yes. They actually have the video of her talking to the audience before it starts. She surprised the cast. They had no idea she was even coming. That's so cool. And they go all out, man. They actually do the chest burster scene live on stage. To the tune of June is busting out all over. <laughs> No, that's the YouTube version. Well, I like to think that the stage musicals, like Reanimator the musical and... Uh, Evil Dead. Thank you, Evil Dead. Uh, I think they kind of help to to inspire like well what else could we do heck two of the uh two of the cast members of um evil dead the musical the original cast were working on unfortunately it has never seen the light of day but they tried to make aliens the musical oh that would have been hilarious yeah yeah, yeah. The the guy who played Ash in Evil in the in the uh, original cast of Evil Dead, and I think George Ryan Blatt was involved, but I don't remember if he was actually specifically involved in it. But I know that uh, the guy, Ryan, I can't remember his last name, but the guy who played Ash in the original cast, he was like the driving force behind Aliens as the musical. When I saw it in New York the first time. When we did the interviews afterwards, he mentioned it. And then when Walter and I saw it in Toronto, I asked him about it and they were still writing it. But it never I guess it never got far, which is kind of a shame because I agree with you. That would have been hysterical. But yes, for those of you, if you have not seen it yet, um, folks, get on the YouTubes. Look for the Alien High School play. It is it is a sight to be seen. And they're alien. Everything, by the way, the entire set and the alien, everything is made from recyclable recycled materials. Hmm. So they're environmentally conscious as well as talented in other ways. And the alien is dead on. I, oh, yeah. I, that was what really impressed me for for a, a high schoolers using recycled material. This thing, it's a fucking xenomorph live wandering around the theater. It's awesome. That's they're, cool. They're not just scream queens. They're green scream queens. They're green screen. Say that five times fast. I could, no. I could barely say it once. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why none of us, if send us your MP3s of saying green scream queens five times fast and you'll get absolutely nothing. Oh, we'll, <laughs> but we'll play it. Oh, don't think we won't. <laughs> We'll put that on right after that. I'm ready for battle. <laughs> ready. For ba- I still can't wrap my head around that. Uh, we kind of got away from comfort movies, didn't we? Oh, uh, when don't we tangent, Mrs. C? Well, oh, we tangent a lot. Tangent. Right. Well, but I was thinking of yes. other 
comfort movies that I have, and they yes. tend to be holiday based. Mm. Okay. Like you know, at Easter, I love to watch Easter Parade, and then you know? Jul- July Fourth, right, Scott? We usually watch. Good see, night it, and good luck. See, it, it's uh, Easter. I prefer to watch The Wicker Man. Well, I mean, if we're going to go into pagan holidays, let's go into pagan holidays. I have never seen Easter Parade. Oh, it's delightful. It's uh, it's something to see. Um, <laughs> yes. So I we used to watch Jaws on the 4th of July because that requires no thought. It takes place on the 4th of July. Yeah. Give me a break. But in dark times like these, when you need some hope in the resilience of American democracy, we started watching the George Clooney directed film, Good Night and Good Luck. Oh. Such an amazing so, film. You may or may not know. It's about uh, Edward R. Murrow and his attempting to face off against McCarthy. And it's not only a fascinating glimpse into the early days of TV news, but kind of a prescient look at where news is going to go. It's not anachronistic because the seeds of TV news's demolition were planted in those days. And yeah. David Strathairn, <laughs> who is an actor I love and admire in virtually everything I've seen him in, gives an amazing performance as Edward R. Murrow. It's not a pre-impersonation. The character he creates is remarkable. I saw it three times the week that it played in this area. I can see that. <laughs> well, I knew it was only, I knew it wasn't, like, I saw it the day it opened just because I'm like, okay, I want to see what George Clooney does as a director. And after I saw it, I knew it was not going to last long. Yes, I knew. I, I walk out of theater going, this is going to be gone immediately. And I wanted to support it. So I actually saw it three days in a row. Good for you. I well, took different people to see it. That's good. You probably I'm account like, for a full third of its box office take. Very probable. I would not be surprised. I'm, I, am, I am one of the three of us are the three people who saw it. And we, and we bought the DVD. So, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. You know, what I love... Um, I mean, there's so much I love about that movie. There's the use of the black and white, the attention to period detail. The interview uh, with Liberace. The interview with Liberace. The fact the, they did that scene in the movie, that made me so happy. <laughs> the, um, well, the, the, the singer uh, who provides, who, yes. the, 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 the woman singer who's doing commercials and doing live music in a booth and is almost a Greek chorus. It's yes. on the action. And then, of course, there's Robert Downey Jr. He was very good. We, he was very good. And it's kind of like, you're, this is kind of like one of the first things he did, maybe, after he sort of imploded. As he was making a comeback, yes. Yes, it was one of his first comeback. And he was fantastic in it. Everyone is. Everyone Jeff, is. Jeff Daniels is, in as much as he is a villain. Uh, <laughs> this is another one, folks. Seriously, if you want a, a some brilliant, intelligent cinema, which you don't get a lot of, well, it's hard to find nowadays. I, 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 all three, I'm assuming all three of us highly recommend A Good Night and Good Luck. Find it, watch it. You'll be glad you did. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you will feel more patriotic than you have ever felt. Frank Langella. Yes. Frank Langella as, as William Paley. Basically playing it as a villain, but that's basically because at this point, anything Frank Langella plays is a villain. <laughs> Whether he's a villain or not, oh. he's just going to come off as villainous. <laughs> he can't I've, help it. That's how he comes off to his paperboy when the kid comes around to collect. <laughs> <laughs> another another comfort film for me, and I freely admit it, it, it's not a, it's definitely not what you would call a great film. I know there are arguments for or against it, but I can watch this thing religiously. It's another film that I have 
every line memorized is Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. I've never actually seen that. The first time I saw oh, it's such a fun it's such a fun movie. First time I saw it, uh, I saw it the day it came out. I just remember Tim Burton stop motion animation and a musical about Halloween. I've got to go see it. A good friend of mine at the time and I went to see it and we were higher than a kite. Okay, we were, we may have been a little bit too high. Okay, it was one of those. We're sitting in the theater, we're both like, okay, let's get this started. And the opening song starts. And I remember she looked, she told me, she looked over at me and I had the biggest shit eating grin on my face. And I am just cackling with evil glee at this opening number, which this is Halloween. The lyrics are not the best, but it's just such a perfect encapsulation of the, of, of the holiday Halloween. Well, it's Danny Elfman, right? Yes. As I said, the lyrics aren't exactly the best. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. I kind of wondered why it didn't do better, but... Looking back on it, I'm not at all surprised it didn't do better. It's, I don't want to say an acquired taste, but it's an, it's an, it has a niche appeal. It's, it's a narrow focus. And, and so a most typical people, Tim Burton film. Yeah. Even, even, even more of a niche than Tim Burton, because like I said, not only do you have, um, Tim Burton's weirdness, you have Danny Elfman's vocal weirdness as well. And you also have this, slightly off-putting at first style of animation the, the stop motion with the with a plug-in modular heads with different expressions and i mean it, it's very rank and bass in some ways uh, it reminds me of certain stop motion animated classics that were shown when i was a kid so it's it's a very nostalgic appeal but i don't want to necessarily say that it's gruesome or macabre but the attitude is just so gleefully mordant Kidnapped to Sandy Claus. Right, exactly. As odd as Tim, Tim Burton can be, his films have had popular success. I mean, the first Batman was enormously popular, while also being intensely weird. But there's just something about this. It, it, was, it was a confluence of so many weirdnesses, as you say. Tim Burton's sensibility, Danny Elfman, this odd style of animation that, that wasn't what people were used to at the time because it was so anachronistic that it, it, it's a film that I think unsurprisingly struggled to find an audience. Although it's also one of those things that I think found multiple generations in streaming and online and on DVD. And it's become a great attraction at Disneyland. It lasts oh. from Halloween all the way through the Christmas. I remember when the 3D conversion came out, I freely admit I was there first day. I, I again, I'm like, all right, what am I? It's my comfort film. It's in 3D. This film, I think, will work as a 3D film. I am down with it. Plus, any chance to see that on the big screen, I would just like, absolutely. Well, I have to ask you because I basically can't see 3D. Right, right, right. How did it look as a 3D? It was awesome. It okay. looked awesome. Right. It absolutely looked awesome. It, it was I, that that style of animation works perfectly for 3D. It works. Oh, it yeah. works. Really, really, really well. Let's see here. Um, okay, I have a weird question for you guys. Mm -hmm. Since we have been talking about comfort films, before before I go into my quick takes, because I have a couple of quick takes I want to run by you guys. We've been talking about comfort films. Has there been a film for either of you that has been the exact opposite? A film where you've just been like, turn this off now. I'm done. Well, you couldn't even finish the film for because for whatever reason, it was just a pure immediate turn off. I know there's been for Mary. Yeah, there has to have been, but I can't think of any. Uh, for me, that's a really tough question because I have this weird, like my version of machismo is being able to take it 
as a moviegoer. I will sit through a bad movie, and if I couldn't do that, I you know I wouldn't have been able to write that book. Right. Uh, so there are not a lot of movies. I think I've only ever walked out of one movie in my life, and it was. It was a film with George Burns and Brooke Shields called Here's Looking at You, Kid. You, Kid. Oh, my God. I remember that movie. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a hot, hot, sultry summer night. We didn't get many of them at the beach, but we got a few. You and... just broke my brain, Scott. That is a callback <laughs> I haven't thought of in decades. Nor has anyone else, including everyone involved with it. Sure. Oh my god! And Brooke Shields, if she hears it, is just going. I'm. I'm in the with George Burns. <laughs> Wait, wasn't he dead then? Yes, he was, but he was still in your movie. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's like, oh, let's just let's just go to the movies. The least of the air condition. No, I would rather sweat to death. I would rather have heat stroke than watch the rest of this movie. But that's the only one. And I felt I bad about it. I felt bad about it ever since. Not necessarily that one. I think I probably picked a good one to bail on. But just not being able to, to tough it out. And I haven't done it since. And I've gotten to the end of every bad movie, including Exodus to the Heretic. Although, and Raven, the Chosen One. And Legend of the Raven, hi, uh, colon, the Chosen One. Or the Chosen, the Chosen One, colon, Legend of the Raven. Of the I Raven. don't remember. All I know is it starred Carmen Electra in a in a weird Star Wars ripoff. And, no, it wasn't a Star Wars ripoff. Oh, it was because of that, that whole scroll. The Chosen well, One. Well, yeah, but it was, it was a superhero ripoff. Yeah, it was. It ripped off everything. It ripped off it everything. It ripped off everything. Including you not... can find out all about it by reading Better Living Through Bad Movies. Right, there's a Read chapter. It. But that's the one. That chapter, that particular movie, kind of broke me. And I'm, I'm admitting something here I probably shouldn't. But I'm gonna let I'm gonna pull back the curtain and give you a peek into the process, people. Here's what I used to do for you. I used to sit down and I would watch these movies two, three times, like they would do with Mystery Science Theater. But see, they had a whole writer's room. There there was moral support possible. There were people helping each other through the experience. I would be sitting in a room by myself with a VCR. Yes, it goes. I back would that see it once with player. him. I still feel bad about Lou Ferrigno's Hercules. Not really, but I do. Yeah, well, I only watched that once. But anyway, so I would watch these two or three times, and I would take notes, and then I would write up my review and my summaries. And, but I got through The Chosen One, Legends of the Raven with Car- once, and I got, ah, I don't, I don't know if I can do that again. <laughs> so I actually, and this is the only time I ever did it, I made a drink, and I sat down, and I tried watching it again, and I got to the end, but I go, okay, that's it. That's it. I'm going to watch these movies once and you get what you get. <laughs> and the thing about it is I it doesn't always work because sometimes you'll think a movie's going a certain way. And then because these movies are terrible and have no internal logic, it'll go another way. And all my jokes about this one thing turn out to be inapplicable. And <laughs> I have to rewrite the whole thing. But generally, it's because it's not like I, I watch the movies in real time and then I write them up. I stop. I pause, I think about it, I rewind, I take notes. I mean, it's... It's ex- hard work. Exorcist to the Heretic took me four days to get through in 30-minute in chunks. Because I, I've seen Exorcist to the Heretic once, and it felt like four days to get through. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a difficult process. But and you know why I saw Exorcist to no, the Heretic? I know, I, I, know, I know why I did. I, why did you? I saw it because I loved the movie Excalibur. 
Oh, huh? right. I was a huge fan of Excalibur, and I thought I did not even know that a sequel to The Exorcist existed at this point. But I saw Excalibur, and I was like, oh, this is the same guy that did Deliverance. Okay, I like Deliverance. What else has he done? Wait, he did a sequel to The Exorcist? I have to watch this. Uh, he tricked you. Whenever people complain about a slump, I go, let me tell you about a slump. <laughs> John Borman made Zardoz. Oh, God. Then he made... Exorcist to the Heretic. That's a slump. Yeah. <laughs> I have walked out of getting back on. I have walked out of one film in my entire life as well. Tell me. Let's see if you remember this title. Warriors of Virtue. Oh, huh? yeah. Yeah. Kung, Kung Fu Kangaroos. Yeah. Right. Right. Kung Fu Kangaroos. I was in a role-playing group at the time, and they all wanted to go see this movie. And I thought, okay, it's a fantasy film. Why not? We got 20 minutes into the film, and I'm like, I have to go. And they were they they were all enjoying it. They're like, this is uh, okay. I'm like, uh, no, I I'm, I'm I I left 20 minutes in and spent the next hour out in the lobby playing video games, and I did not feel bad about myself. It was the most unfun. It was it it was came out shortly after the first live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh right. So they were capitalizing on that. Yes, yes. It was very much a cash in. Look, we have cute animatronic characters who do martial arts. This will be fun. It was not fun. It was evil. And it destroyed what and it destroyed. a. That's one of the reasons why I consider myself soulless, because that 20 minutes knocked a good chunk of mine away. But if your friends were enjoying it and you went out in the lobby, rather than sitting there fuming next to them and then exploding when you came out, you probably did the right thing for everybody. Um, oh, I, I got rid of all of my hatred at playing video games. I, yeah, absolutely. I was totally fine when they walked out. I was like, so did you enjoy the film? Oh, yeah. Good. Don't tell me a fucking thing about it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I spent all my laundry money, but it was cathartic. Y yes, y exactly. All right, well, Mr. C, one from you. One from you. Okay. Um, I've been thinking. There's only one that I know that I walked out on, and it was a good movie. It was The Hurt Locker. Oh, that's right. I, I walked out on that because it was making me ill. <laughs> That, that, just, the way it was filmed? Yes. It was oh, okay. Motion sickness. I just, I was like, oh, can't do this. I'm getting nauseous. This isn't good. Now, have you seen the whole film since then? Or have you just been unable to watch it because of the, because of the style? I'm afraid to watch it. Okay. I'm going to mention what I think uh, Mary may agree is, at least speaking mutually, our ultimate comfort film. And that is... The Mystery Science Theater version of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, which we watch every Christmas Eve. You every guys have mentioned that so many times. I was yeah. wondering if that was going to come up or not in this comfort to film food discussion. I mean, from their opening, their stocking stuffers at the beginning to singing uh, Let's Have a Patrick Swayze Christmas. Christmas. To just the, the cheesiness of the film and the hilariousness of the roost, which as many times as we've seen it, we still laugh at it. And that's as close as I ever get. Nothing gives me the holiday feel. Yeah. Like, like maybe, you know, Vince Corelli score to a Charlie Brown Christmas playing uh, while, while Mary's making dinner early in the evening and then we sit down to Santa Claus Conquers the Martians and to me that really that's as good as the holiday season's gonna get not to sound like Jack Perkins but <laughs> I remember really hating Santa Claus Conquers the Martians when I was a kid because I remember it would come on Channel 5 it, it was, was unwatchable it was hurtful unwatchable horrifying uh, I would switch it off whenever it came out I mean I sat through it a few times when I when I was younger and didn't realize I didn't have to take it 
that, that I, I, I could exercise some agency, uh, at least as, as regards the remote control, if I'm the only one in the room. And I began to do that. And Santa Claus, Tonkers, and Martians helped me find myself in that respect. My MST3K comfort episode, because I have one as well, um, Gamera versus Giran. Oh, yes. yeah. That yes, one, yeah. just for the, hello, Elsa. Hello, Inga. Thank you. Hello, hello. Thank oh, you. Thank you. That whole sequence. Yes. Thank you. Hello. hello. <laughs> I have seen the other, have you seen the other dub? Of that movie? No, there's another dub. Another there are there, there's actually other dubs of all of those films that weren't done by Sandy Frank. Another company did them. Oh, better or worse? It well, could be worse. Could be worse. Could it's, be worse. Actually, it's actually, believe it or not, it's still badly dubbed, but they're better than I think Sandy Frank dubs are just horrible. Um, the other dubs actually make more sense. But what's hysterical is even in the other dub, the traffic accident thing is a running joke. Yeah. <laughs> and no more traffic accidents? I mean, I, I, I assume that because you never see that kid's father, his dad died in a traffic accident. That there's something that didn't make it into the American cut. There's some reason why he obsessively wants to eliminate all traffic accidents. That that's his idea of utopia. But that's that's just my assumption. And, and by saying that, I'm doing the, the thing that I always tell Mary not to do, which is I am helping the movie. You're helping it, the movie. It doesn't deserve it. She'll go, well, maybe it's not. I go, yeah, maybe it is. But there's no support for that in the movie we saw. So don't, stop trying to help, help it. it. Stop, don't excuse it. Don't do more work than the than the filmmakers did. You're the consumer. But, like I, I I tend to I tend to put on um, mystery science theater when I go to bed. Yeah. The yeah. riffs put me, the riffs put me to sleep. They do. I mean, when I'm having a hard time sleeping, I'll either put on mystery science theater and drift off happily, or I'll put on. I had a joke, but I lost it about something bad. But no, it's tend to be mystery science theater, and I don't know how it's like Gamera versus Giran, and um, from the later seasons. Um, oh, I can't think of the name of the film now. Prince of Space. Mary hates that one. I hate that one. She won't. That movie or that riff? I hate all of it. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, we. I tried to get her. It just we, we were watching some MST shorts during dinner the other night, and then Prince of Space popped up next on YouTube. And, she watched a little bit of it and go, oh, I'm not enjoying this. She just doesn't. And it's funny that a similar movie, very similar, also Japanese, black and white from the same era. That is the one movie. What one of the two embassies I can't rewatch is Neptune Men. Oh, I think it's funny. The, o- the only thing about it is that weird, that weird cutaway to the Hitler building. But uh, it's that and parts of the clone horror. Ugh. Maybe it's just two seventies. Maybe it's just like the, the, it's it's all the worst parts of the seventies. I have struggled to forget distilled to one hundred and fifty proof. I know I've ta- watched the island before I watched Clonus. Oh, I remember when the Arch- island came Arch- out. I was like, when are they going to sue? Yeah. Somebody sue, fucking sue. <laughs> the one that I can't watch. I know I've talked about this before, but the one that I cannot watch is Manos. Right. I couldn't watch it for a while myself. No, but you, you have to understand, Mrs. C. I saw Manos without the riff. Oh, God. I had a very long time ago, a friend of mine had gotten it. It was a horrible VHS that he'd gotten at a horror film collection. And he's like, you like watching crap films. You t- watch this one. This will cure you. Yes. Yeah. And I and I, it's like I have I have gotten through the Manos riff once and it made me laugh. Don't get me wrong, but I've tried watching it since then. But I just remember actually sitting. Now that's a film that I should have gotten up and walked out of. But I sat that entire. That was my measure of a man moment. 
<laughs> I will sit I here need, and watch I will, this. I will get through this piece of shit. That's why, I think I, that's why I think I can watch so many crappy horror films. Yeah, you have to have I've, that breakthrough moment. I've seen moment. Manos, so I mean... You have to go, okay, I, I made it through Manos. I can make it through this. You know, it's like I, I made it through The Chosen yeah. Legend of the Raven. How bad can this be? It's just you have to have that watershed moment that teaches that's you like, that today I am a man. Like when I found out Mystery Science Theater had done Manos, I was like, wait a minute, is that the film that I think? I remember, I'm like, is this the film that I think it is? I'm watching it, and I'm watching these riffs. I'm like, this looks really, really familiar to me. And then the 34-year-old doing the voice of the little girl mm-hmm. was talking, and I'm like, I remember <laughs> this movie. But well, you had to be one of the... Slowly you turn. You had to be one of the very few people who saw that before it became infamous on uh, Mystery Center. Because it was not only a forgotten film, but it, it, it had never been known enough to be forgotten. No. The, the yeah. only people who saw it, basically, were the cast and their luckless friends and family who filled up that El Paso theater to watch the premiere. After that, I mean, I didn't know there were... There were 60 millimeter prints of it floating around, but it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't anything I was aware of. I mean, there are certain like famously bad movies that are in that sort of underground of infamous failures that, that everyone who's into this kind of shit kind of knows about. Manos right. was new to me. So I, I respect the fact that you saw it one undiluted, you know, with, without the, the welding hood protection provided by <laughs> MSD riffs to reduce, reduce the blinding glare of its badness. But just the fact that, that you knew someone who had access to it, that's going deep into the, the subculture. And, yes, and another, another one that actually, one of the, the one thing that I really liked about the uh, sci-fi years, particularly season 10 is that, of MST, was that then they started showing more films that I'd seen before. Yeah, that was, like, that was. I had seen, but my God, when they announced that they were doing the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies, I jumped. I literally jumped for joy. I was, I was so happy that they were doing that film. Yeah, I was oddly yep. thrilled about that too. Because again, I, I read about it, I'd heard about it, never seen it. And kids, let me tell you about a world before internet streaming and BitTorrent. You were at the mercy of whatever was released on VHS. And it was not that easy to get your hands on obscure films that were not part of the library of some big ticket distributor. So you could live in constant hope, but it was it was rarely fulfilled unless you just found a cutout bin somewhere. Or that... horror conventions. Horror conventions right. back in the day were a great place to pick up obscure shit. That's and true. I mean and I mean shit both figuratively and li- metaphorically and literally. Right. Well, remember when I was, I used to babysit my uh, little cousins. And one of the things I would do is like, well, I'll rent a movie and we'll make popcorn or I'll make brownies. That Mr. And Video? I, that was from Miss, yeah, Mr. Video. And I found a Megaforce. Right. Ah, <laughs> oh, flashbacks to Barry Boswick. Sorry. Sorry, yeah. go on. Sorry. And I and another horrible and surprisingly inappropriate movie for them. I thought it was gonna be like Raiders of the Lost Ark, because it was called Robbers of the Sacred Mountain. Oh God. Was that Simon the one with Simon Simon McCorkendale, right? The the poor man's Michael York. And there was, there was top, topless, toplessness. Yep. And and it was weird topic because she showed me this. I, I think yes. this could be fodder for your book. We got it, I think, from Mr. Video in, in the waiting, probably the very same tape that she'd shown to her probably. cousins years earlier. I can't believe they had more than one copy of it. And <laughs> the weird thing about this was there's one woman in it, 
who does multiple topless scenes and the size of her breasts change. radically change. Not like, oh, it's that time of the month. I mean, they, like pneumatically. No, it was the time of the month. Really? It seemed more obvious than that. It's like, wait, did she did she get a boob job and got cold? Well, she was also in retakes? water. Oh, all right. What is she? A, she has sea sponges under there? Well, it is buoyant. All right. It just, it just. Like, it was what, weird. What, yeah, it was, yeah, like. It was weird and inappropriate, and I was like, okay, turn this off. No. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, that makes me laugh. Okay, real quick <laughs> tangent here, because I want to get these out but this, before we go off on even more tangents. I have yeah. a couple of real quick hot takes for everybody. First off, I know you have started this. Uh, you guys have started this. I am late to the party on this, but I have just finished it. Um, Doom Patrol is one of my favorite television series of all time. Yay. It is worth the price of getting a one-month subscription service for DC Universe just to watch Doom Patrol. Folks, this thing is batshit insane. Absolutely batshit insane. This is like middleman level of insanity taken to the next degree. Plus, it's for mature audiences. Oh, yeah. All the things that Jeff loves, it's narrated by the villain who continually breaks the fourth wall to the point where Timothy Dalton's character... he plays the head of the Doom Patrol. The chief stops uh, him in the middle of a monologue and says, who are you talking to? Oh, it gets gets even worse. There is a fourth wall break later in the season, which I'm not going to describe, but I cannot believe that they did. And I was so fucking happy they did it because it's brilliant. Okay, well, we're going to talk, we're going to have a probably a mini show dedicated to Doom Patrol. Yes, because I want to talk to you guys after you watch the entire thing, because the last two episodes have two of the most what the fuck moments I have ever seen on television. Well, before we get too far off track, uh, and I mentioned this only because it's a campaign promise. You, you said it on Twitter. You promised you were going to yes, give your spoiler-free yes. review of Brightburn. These will actually. These are the other two hot takes that I have. In the space of two days, I saw two uh, just-released movies. The first one that I saw was Aladdin. And as I told Scott, when it is not trying to be Aladdin, it's a very interesting movie. Let, let, let me quote exactly what you said, because you texted me. Oh, no. And oh. you said, quote... And this came out of nowhere. We weren't even talking. It just like this popped up on my phone. Aladdin is approximately 57% worse than you think it is. (laughs) Unquote. Now, my response to that is, I don't think that's mathematically possible, but then you mellowed mellowed a little bit when when we actually talked about it. Well, the reason why I said that is because the stuff that is Aladdin is so bad, that's the 57% worse, that it makes the stuff that's interesting, I kind of got me angry about it, because I'm like, this is good, why does this suck so bad? I mean, this is a prime example. Prince Ali is boring. The number. Yes. How can you make Prince Ali boring? Well, Guy Ritchie did it. And it's not animated, and you don't well, have Robin Williams doing his shtick. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, like I also told Scott, when Will Smith is doing his own thing as the genie, he's actually an interesting character. I like Will Smith when he's not trying to be Disney's genie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When they let him be Will Smith's genie, he's actually really kind of cool. Unfortunately, they said, okay, we gotta, it's got to be Disney's genie, so do this shtick. And those are the scenes where I just go, 
no, no. Like there are so yeah. many jokes. There were so many jokes in this movie that freaking bu- I saw it in a full house and there were jokes. I know they were jokes that nobody laughed at at all. Oh, like there, there were moments that were like dead silent in the film, in the audience. And that, that I was not expecting until 20 minutes in when I went, okay, I can see where this is going. And the other thing, like I told Scott is one jump ahead, they completely ruined because it's Guy Ritchie being Guy Ritchie. Way, mm. way, way too many camera shots. Way, way, way too much. It's so frenetic, you lose the goddamn song. It's doing great at the box office. I hope people, the people who like it, more power to you. But I was just like, this could have been a different film. It, there was like, there's like germs of a much more interesting film here. And that's what pissed me off so much. So um, basically take hand sanitizer if you go see it. Yes, and then and then to make up for it, the same crowd took me to see Brightburn. Oh, I fucking loved Brightburn. It is not for everybody, particularly as has been proven by some reviews. Um, if if you are a Superman worshiper and not a horror fan, you're probably not going to like this film. If you are not a horror fan, you are not going to like this film because this is very much a horror film, and and it is a well made horror film. This it, it, this made me so happy. Also, I love deconstruction. I'm all for the Elseworlds line of DC comics, and that's kind of what this felt for me. That's what this was for me. This was sort of like a DC Elseworlds thing, except they couldn't use actually any of the real names. But I mean, come on, it takes place in Kansas. We know what they're doing. Is that Elizabeth Banks? Yes, it is, and she's wonderful. Elizabeth Banks needs to do more serious stuff. I know people love her from her comedies, but oh my God, she is amazing in this film. I don't think I've ever seen her in a dramatic role. She knocks it, uh, it knocks it out of the park. It's not, you know, it's nowhere near. No, it's nowhere near. Say like Tony Collette and Heredity for performances because. This is obviously a very different film. You know, Heredity was going for a much more different vibe than than Brightburn is. But um, Elizabeth Banks is phenomenal in this. Both both actors, I can't think of the guy who plays the husband, but um, both of them do a really, really good job going back and forth on the moral quandary. This is our child. This is our child, but our child may be a sociopath. With superpowers. With superpowers, yes. Well, she was in Slither, and that wasn't a complete comedy. Oh, that was pretty funny, though. But yes, she did. Yeah, I mean, but no, her this one, her performance in this is much more. It, she's on. I mean, she 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 free, much like I was going to say, going back to um, Aladdin real fast. The 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 woman who plays Jasmine is freaking amazing. Naomi Scott. Oh yes, uh, she is a. It is a powerhouse performance. Jasmine is a is the most interesting character in the film, and um, both Elizabeth Banks and the kid who plays um, Brightburn. Yes, uh, they both are just. It's you just sit there going, wow, and they make this kid do a lot. This role requires some pretty hefty chops, and and he knocks it out of the park. Now, one of the things that I find interesting is I've been watching some of the YouTubers now since I've seen the film, and I saw one review that said that they would have liked actually uh, maybe 15 or 20 minutes more of the film showing the family dynamic because those characters who interest in them wrestling with the quote-unquote moral quandaries that the film kind of puts forth would have been interesting to give more character development. And the person who was with them said, I see your point, but this is a lean, mean horror film, which you don't get very often that works. So I like it the way it is. I'm kind of torn because while I agree that it is 
It's a perfect like 90 minutes. It does what it's set out to do. That's another thing. How often do you see a trailer, one trailer, and it makes promises and the film delivers exactly what the trailer promises you? That's been it's that's, rare. That's been rare since the earliest days of silent cinema ballyhoo. <laughs> but this film, I mean that that first trailer, you see that trailer, you know, oh, okay, this is <clears throat> this is a very dark Superman origin kind of story, and that is exactly what it is, and it does not, it earns its R rating. I will warn you right now if you're thinking about going to see it. Don't take the fucking kids. Do not take the kids. This is rated R for a reason. There are some scenes here that are going to make you go, oh, God. That's what I thought about Shazam. It needed more violence? (laughs) No, it had a lot of violence in the beginning, and I was worried for the kids. I gotcha. I gotcha. But no, yeah, no, this film, this film is... Any like just for horror fans, it, it is it is a a joy to behold to actually see an extremely good horror film that knows what it is and doesn't compromise and also walks the line really well because there are moments I think this may be J- uh, James Gunn's little fingers dipping in that are pretty funny, but it, it does not become more of a comedy than a horror film. It doesn't become more of a horror film than a comedy. It really walks that line. I mean, there is something inherently hilarious about. What? Oh, Superman was a complete asshole. Seemed there are delightful. websites. There are whole that. websites devoted to that. Super, superdickery.com, one of I my love, favorite websites. I love superdickery. <laughs> As you, 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 don't, you don't even have to look to the subtext to find Superman being a dick. He's just right there on the cover. Couldn't be. Yes, yes. Sean Baby also is great. Sean Baby is terrific. If you are looking to laugh until you worry about incontinence, <laughs> I cannot more highly recommend you check out SeanBaby.com and his series of uh, interlinked essays on the Super, Super Friends. Friends. Really? Oh, I, will, I do not know this. I will check this out then. SeanBaby.com? Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. All right. Oh, and one last thing before we say before we say uh, New Movie Crew is next. I do have an announcement to make. Um, so, uh, some people will appreciate this. Uh, the boys are going into the recording studio within the next two weeks. Awesome. Really? Yes. And I will leave it there. Promised Mike and Ike album is coming. Yes. Very exciting news. All right. Thanks for joining us for this look down memory lane and peek into Mary's deep-seated psychological problems and the desperate and somewhat pathetic coping devices she uses to navigate her many phobias. My loneliness. (laughs) Aww. Aww. You're going to make me feel bad about it. See, now every time I leave town, I know she's... Great, she's gonna be. She's already reaching for the mummy DVD. This makes me yeah. feel like a monster. I don't feel like a monster. Go, go to no, his graduation. It'll be fine. No, it's you know. Well, it's, just think of it. Just think of it this way: the only person who can replace you, Scott, is a young hunky Brendan Fraser, and he is not hunky anymore. Well, he's chunky. <laughs> no, he he has definitely Val Kilmer a little bit. He ha- little bit. yeah, he's he's put on a kilo of Kilmer, but. <laughs> You know, he, he went through some tough times. But anyway, hey, Flashback! Hey, thanks for listening, and stay tuned, because the new movie crew is about to take a look at John Wick. It's we'll coming be, at you. We'll be right back. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge, it's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge, it's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge, that's, that's right. right.
It's, it's the, the unknown, unknown movie, movie challenge. challenge. It's the unknown what movie. challenge. It's the unknown what movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown what movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. That's right. It's the unknown movie challenge. Ready for battle. And welcome back to the unknown movie challenge. This time we have the entire new movie crew, Sans Mary, who declined to see this episode's movie, John Wick, because the only wick she cares about is the burning wick of a votive candle in a Catholic cathedral. (laughs) Well, you know, that's a lot like when someone says we're open every day. Except Tuesdays, Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I say that, of course, that's complete bullshit. But I do say it because a lot of this movie reminded me of Vatican. I don't know why. Probably because it's based on a sort of ill-dressed, goofy secret society. And I think I think the parallels to the Catholic Church were probably deliberate and also utterly pointless. Anyway, this is our movie, John Wick. It's the action I don't know. I, I don't have another adjective. It's basically it's basically action. That's that's pretty much all it is. Um, yeah. Be forewarned that uh, this this may turn into a like a discussion of all three of the movies because we went and saw the first two again. Oh, you so, did? Yeah, wow. They I, were on back to back. So now I, I have a confession to make. Until I saw John Wick three, I've never seen a John Wick film. Oh, how confused okay. were you? Actually, not at all. That was the whole. Re- that was the whole reason why I went. You know, I mean, I, I missed the first one in the theaters, and I just never got around to it. By the second one came out, I already missed the first one. This one, my 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 twin from different genetic material was gonna go see it, and I was like, all right, let's see if I get confused while watching this film. How does this film stand on its own as being part of a uh, series? I thought that might be kind of a neat way to go, to go into it, and I wasn't confused at all. That was actually one of the things that was one of the things that I really gave the movie credit for was it did a I thought a phenomenal job of building the world. I totally understand the world this movie exists in just from that movie. And and then all you need is a few spoilers to about the car and the dog. Right, right. right. <laughs> so I, mean, I knew I knew the basics. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I, that right. line, I, he shot my dog. I get it. That made perfect sense it, to me. Yeah. Yeah, I went in, and I went in more or less, like I said, apart from knowing, okay, Secret Society of Assassins, that's it. I didn't know what the Continental was. I didn't know who was in the series. I went in completely and totally blind to this thing. Well, let's start off with that, because I think it is to the movie's credit that you were not perplexed by what was going on. I think that's also one of the movie's demerits, in that it's, it's so light on story, you can wander into the third episode and pretty much get as much out of it as somebody who's watched the whole thing. Well, it's the same story. <laughs> it it yes. hasn't changed. I mean, and that's why it's chapter right. one, chapter two, chapter three. It's still going. It's the same story. <clears throat> He's still dealing with the aftermath of the first movie. So it still hasn't ended. This is what, like, how, how much time has actually passed? Like a week? <laughs> it's not like they, they kept saying two weeks. They kept saying okay, two weeks. Okay, maybe it's two film. weeks. Not only that, but uh, you actually benefited from the fact that you didn't see the first two because you didn't see some of the things that we thought were drawbacks about the third one. Because they, they, they seem to re- repeat certain themes. Oh, yeah. 
That that yeah. does not surprise me. I mean, just just from watching this one, I, I could tell it seemed like there were moments in the film that felt like this felt like a greatest hits moment. I would just say this, that the director really loves shattered glass. Oh, my God. He just loves. And you could tell in every single movie a whole lot of shattered glass. Yeah. OK, OK. That's good to know. <laughs> Those two weeks have really aged. John Wick. <laughs> yes. I mean, wouldn't you age? I mean, uh, you know, come on. I fought a lot of battles. Because I'm gonna... man's been hit by a car like six, seven times. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I am actually going to go back and um, watch the first two films now because I got to be perfectly honest. I kind of fucking love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was oh, totally. It was a lot of fun. I yeah, was no totally all in from the very beginning. I love the the Dario Argento Suspiria lighting that the film kind of has. I love like right off the bat within the first five minutes, like the, the, the storyteller me is going, okay, this is a heightened universe. This isn't our own universe. It's kind of a parallel heightened place. This is cool. Okay, all the bad. This is a video game world because the bad guys are bullet sponges. Exactly. This, yeah, is, like, thing is-, this is bullet porn. This is gun porn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and people have talked about how John Wick changed action movies because, you know, uh, he, he solidified, if not almost innovated, this close-up firing, shooting people in the head during a fight. I mean, they people have been shot in the head before, but not like that. Not like, you know, boom, boom, and then you're still on the ground, boom, I get you. And that's the thing, is that John Wick, as the character, does not fight to disable. No. He fights to kill. No. I mean, that first fight scene, that freaking first fight scene where they're just flinging knives at each other. From that right. point on, I was like, oh, I'm in. Okay, take me where you want to go. I am. Because I, I love I mean, all the action scenes were great. But that first fight scene, it, it, it did what it was supposed to do. It, it grabbed me and it kept me engaged for the whole rest of the movie. But here's a nuance. I, we noticed this just because we went back and looked at the films and it's, it's in the third one, too. If you're not out to kill him then you can actually get just roughed up. Oh, really? Okay, okay. Yeah, so just the ones that are actually out there with the intent to to do him in, to kill him, are the ones that get killed themselves. But people that are just like in the way or like police or something, or something else, he won't won't kill them, but he will rough them up. That is a thief. So, so a subway sandwich technician who gets his order wrong would only like get a broken collarbone and not shot in the face. Exactly. Or he'd only get shot once. Yeah, exactly. He is yeah, Mr. Yeah, and exactly miss his major organs through and through. You'll be fine. Yeah, he is Mr. Double Tap. <laughs> if they, is, if if Ben and Jerry's name an ice cream after John Wick. It should be, It'd be double tap, double, double tap, tap. Exactly. <laughs> and the fan geek in me was geeking out of the fact that Sensei Ping was in the movie as well. I, that was just anytime Mark DeCasco shows up in something to be a badass, I'm just like, oh. And then Mark DeCasco's in two guys from the Raid films. That was freaking awesome, man. You know, you know what was really fascinating? Not fascinating, but I really enjoyed the fact. And really, you'd, it's for people who have seen the first two is that improvement of the armor, which caused him to have to shoot them under the helmet. That was just a, an added difficulty, you know, a, a level of difficulty for him. And I just thought that was great. That was well, perfect. Because before that was just like a, a bunch of, you know, kill fest, you know. 
kill anybody that's just standing anywhere near you. But this was this was a little tougher. Well, this was this was the boss level. Right. Yeah, so. Exactly. I was so happy to see Mark Dacascos. I He's a skilled martial artist. He's He's got a lot of charisma. Uh, he just came on the scene at the wrong time, kind of in a trough between <clears throat> martial arts action movies, because uh, he should have been a star. Uh, and yep. I, I enjoyed his character and found him so funny and riveting that I was... The I was, fact that he was a fan, that was the so fact cool. Yeah, that he was, exactly. He was trying, he was fanboying all over him while trying to kill him. And I was just, <laughs> I was just thinking, oh, have him be like, continue, have him come back, bring him back. And then like, you're, there's going to be another one, obviously. And now, nah, now nah, he gets killed. Villains are disposable. Yeah, that's so, the, uh, that see, well, I'll be seeing you is the theme that goes through the, the several I films. was just about to ask, the prisoner freak yeah. in me was going, okay, be seeing you. Is that like a running gag? Okay, that's awesome. It was a running thing. And the fact that this Costco's gets, no, you won't. He's right. the only one that got, no, you won't. Well, let's talk a little bit about the way this, this has changed movies. There are all these paradigm-shifting films that come along. The, the Bourne Identity films changed action for a while. In fact, the, the first Daniel Craig Bond film was heavily influenced by the the action style in the Bourne films. And now John Wick, John Wick does not believe that firearms are ranged weapons. They are melee <laughs> weapons. They're like knives or clubs. And it's it's initiated a period of film that I'm calling giggle gore because there were multiple moments and and these have been around for forever i mean i remember going to uh theaters on 42nd street and there would just be slasher films or gore films and there would be uh, the audience would go oh at a certain moment but people were laughing at the most hideous gruesome things in this film and here's someone get shot in the head and we'd all basically if, if this was a theater production we would all be in the splatter zone because mm-hmm. just gore is flying toward the camera and people i was laughing and i hated myself for it afterwards but there is we have gotten to a point where that killing people is so in ways that are so over the top the only response is to laugh and i i don't know if that's a good thing or not but it's definitely a thing did anybody notice the difference between the giggling for the shooting but the there was a lot of ooh when it was knives i think knives are still icky (laughs) yes the scene that made me go, ooh, was actually also in the, that beginning fight scene when he destroyed that man's head with a book. Oh, yeah. right. That was the one moment where yeah. I was... That, that, was, that wasn't that was a giggle gore. That genuinely that genuinely disturbed me. That, that moment got to me. Yeah. The special effects are getting really, really frightening. That whole thing of sticking the, uh, the knife in the guy's eye. Yes. Oh. That, that's what really got the audience. Because in the 80s or even in the 90s, there would have been a cut to the dummy. Uh, to a dummy, to a dummy head. Right. And it, it would have, dis- you know what? And maybe, maybe that's the point. Maybe that's why we're, we're responding with laughter or maybe the filmmakers are deliberately trying to evoke that because the violence is becoming so much more realistic that there isn't that distancing effect of, oh, well, that's obviously a special mm-hmm. effect. As it really did look like a person, and I, I think, and Blanche, that's a good point. There, there was a there was a distinct difference in the the outlandish gunshot kills, or when he throws the axe across the uh, the room and sinks it in the guy's head, and the knife the knife kill. And maybe that's because very few people in my audience, I'm assuming, have ever been shot. But you know, we've all cut ourselves. Mm-hmm. Interesting all- point. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, every single one of them, oh, that would, oh, don't, don't put on hand sanitizer now. 
That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing, the other thing that I was genuinely impressed with in this movie was the um, combination of extended takes in the action scenes and quick edits. Mm-hmm. Some of the fight scenes were very quick edits, but they did have longer takes. You could actually tell what the hell was going on in the fight scenes, which made me happy. I suppose that's part of me being spoiled by Atomic Blonde. I enjoy longer takes in fights now. You'll like the other John Wick movies because the guy who did Atomic Blonde is kind of like the co-director with this guy uh, okay. who does the John Wick movies. That, so. that, that explains a lot because yeah. I was thinking, I, I, at one, I had one fight in particular, I, I definitely had an Atomic vo- Blonde vibe to it. I was going, all right, this is, I'm liking this. I've always felt about fight scenes and maybe this is because when I was younger, I had a, I, I had a real passion for the, the Shaw Brothers uh, Kung Fu films. And there was no shaky cam and there were precious few close-ups because they shot them quick and dirty. And, you know, every, almost everything was a master. And it, it, I sort of feel about fight scenes the way Fred Astaire felt about dance. Show the whole figure. Don't, don't show close-ups of feet. Don't show people from the waist up. And they do, they do a good job of it. And the fight choreography carries probably... 70% of this movie. Yeah, I was very surprised that they were actually able to make me believe that Keanu Reeves could um, hold his own against the two guys from the raid. Right. Well, what, John and I were commenting how much better he's gotten. You remember he supposedly did all that kung fu training for the Matrix movies, and they would show those scenes, and I was like, oh, he's just so slow. I can't believe he'd beat anybody, and this is the Matrix. Right. Like He's supposed to be so amazing. But... Now, I mean, I imagine he keeps training and now it just felt, yeah, like they were like they were shooting at full speed and he was keeping up and everything was, you know, that. Yeah, like you said, that he could actually maybe hold his own against these guys. And I that actually struck me in this movie more than in the previous films. Okay, I would give credit to the directors and the fight choreographers for this, because as much as one could argue that the that the Wachowskis are cinematic visionaries. I, I don't think that they're that great at action. I, I think they're great at world building and creating stunning visuals. But the actual action in the Matrix, a lot of it really depends on the special effects. You're wowed by the bullet time or by someone running on a wall. The actual fight choreography is good, but it's nothing exceptional. And these guys and, go full tilt. And this director also, by the way, was in the matrix and he did a lot of fights and he doubled keanu a lot in that oh really the director of this yes so chat what's his name yes Stahelski. Stahelski, yes that oh. guy and he, who was, he was in the matrix oh i had no idea well that's interesting so he's um he's basically our generation's hal needham <laughs> oh lord just what we need a reboot of the cannonball run it's coming no <laughs> Smokey and the Bandit with Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus. Okay, now you must die. (laughs) We're talking about Atomic Blonde, right? Yes. And uh, there's a whole bunch of people out there that saw Atomic Blonde and said, oh, that is so unbelievable. And the same people go to see John Wick and they go, yeah, awesome, man. (laughs) Those fight scenes are awesome. That is a good but sad point. I, I wanted to say that uh, the part of uh, we were talking about Keanu Reeves and him is is being able to be uh, to go through all that uh, that fight choreography. 
is actually going to be one of my fascinating at the okay. end. I, I am impressed because he's basically only slightly younger than I am. Three or four years. Mm-hmm. Four years. So just getting out of bed is a challenge for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and also real fast, just another major bonus in this movie. Can I just say best puppies ever? <laughs> Those puppies okay. were awesome. Well, how about, yeah, that's, this was a new element in the, in, in the John Wick movies to having not just one, but two animal fight scenes where the animals were major participants in the fight. Well, the, you know, the, the animals have the been... The horses and the right. dogs. Well, the, the, the dogs have been fridged so often in this that it's really, you know, it's good to see them getting a little revenge. Uh, it's also nice that, the, that the, his dog was not put in mortal peril. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. did they and did they ever get revenge? I, I feel really bad for those stunt guys <laughs> being, <laughs> being dragged by your crotch. Oh, <laughs> that's true. I did feel bad for those stunt guys after a while because you know they hold the shot, and then you see them there in the background. The dog's going at it, you know, whether it's on the arm or in the crotch. And I'm just like, can you cut now? Cut away. <laughs> I I feel for this guy. And because the guy, especially because the guys usually by the end of the shot have been murdered they've been they've been shot in the head multiple times and so they have to just lay there pretend to be dead while there's a dog just gnawing on its on its its dick so yes kudos to the stunt team not just for their action prowess but also for their their uh, thespic dedication to being dog chew toys yeah exactly Do, I do want to talk a little bit about the story and, and you guys can fill in because I, I saw them when they came out. I remember enough to follow it. But this time I was struck just how little story there was as story. There was enough of it to advance from one fight scene to the next. And there was world building. Although I have to say it's a world where every third person is a highly trained assassin in the service yes. of a secret society. <clears throat> so yes. how is there anyone left alive to kill? How is there anyone left alive to go see this movie? I think that's why they this, went to another country this uh, time. They right. killed everyone. In this, this, uh, yeah. this movie, more than any than, than the others, uh, really pointed out how the writers are just making it up as they go. Because <laughs> they're just coming up with some concept, you know, because first it was like the high table. That's that's where they, no, first it was, before it was the first movie, there was no high table. He was part of some organized thing. Yes, the Russians. It was the Russians. Then the high table came in. And now there's somebody above the high table right. who happens to wear a turban and live Somewhere in, in the middle of the desert. And you have to wander the, like, I think I've seen this. I heard this story before. I saw it. must have been a cartoon. I don't know. So let, let's, let's walk through the story. So there's the kids' table. There's the dinner right. table. There's the high right. table. And then above everything, I guess, is the high chair. Exactly. So I have a high chair. I was really expecting there to be like a toddler running the whole thing, but uh, yeah. So the guy from the guy from uh, Wonder Woman. uh, It's a a Bedouin who's running everything. Why not? It's got to be somebody. You're right. You're absolutely right. And you know what? They have turned that to their advantage because if you're going to make a movie that's eighty percent action, really you don't want to bog yourself down with having to explain or pay off too many narrative points. Actually, they've said that they said they didn't want to get into any details. Well, they succeeded. They really avoid the de- <laughs> they avoid the details. They did. You know what? It 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 didn't. It seemed less like a traditional movie, and more like a ballet. Yes, there was story, but it was told almost entirely in movement, and the story points right. that were conveyed 
with dialogue. You know, we're kind of stupid. Um, good point, good point. Maybe they meant that. I mean, there was that whole John Wick backstory that was introduced in this with his at the ballet school. And that I guess he was raised and trained by this woman. Okay, and so that was not in the previous films? No, this is no. all new information. No, <laughs> okay. we, we didn't know anything about his background. We didn't know. Now we know, I guess, he's from Belarus, maybe? Um, other, yeah, other than the fact that he was some, someone to be feared and, you know, uh, that just his name incurs danger and fear. Yeah, he's that's the ghost. Thing. He's the Baba Yaga. And that's all we know from the first movie. Okay. And they carry that over. And this is the first time we get any background other than about his wife and his dog. Well, maybe after three films, they figure, we'll give you a nugget. They always do. That, that's, that's when you know, and I don't think we've reached that point yet, but I think that's when you know uh, when a film franchise or a series is starting to break down, when they start giving you too much backstory about your hero. Because <laughs> um, oftentimes it's unsatisfying and sometimes actually contradicts what you've learned or assumed through the previous films. I, I didn't, I didn't really want to know. I, th- that was a scene that, that did not please me at all. That, oh, okay. Whatever. Um, to, well, they just made it up to give him a way out. Right. Because everybody in New York who apparently of the 8 million people, 1 million are assassins, apparently at least, at least. At least. And so everybody in New York was trying to kill him. So, you know, they had to say, well, how the hell are we going to get him out of town if everybody on the street is out for him? Uh, they had to create something that he that couldn't turn him away. Right. And they have this rosary uh, with a crucifix that comes off and attaches to a, uh, a poker in the fire so that it can brand you with it. It just happens to have that attachment. It's great. Yeah. I don't know where you get that. that that's one of those hard to find tools. But, exactly. Um, it's custom. Yeah, exactly. It's a, f- it's a free gift when you order the ShamWow. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, yeah, basically the crucifix were the letters of transit from Casablanca. Uh, <laughs> except, except they they stamp it on your back, and it's which probably- is weird. Who's going to see it there? I know. I thought, okay, yeah. So they brand you so that you can show your ticket, right? Like it's proof that. That yes, you get this. You know, I thought it was going to be something that, yeah, that that is essentially tearing your ticket, but something that's that you can show and prove to whoever's, I don't know, who's escorting you over, transporting you exactly. But no, it's in the middle of his back, and I I mean, I don't know what the point of that is. So yeah, so you're you're at the ticket taker. You've got to strip half nude. Yeah, Um, and also (laughs) they they put it they they branded him right in the middle of a really elaborate tattoo. So it was difficult to see. And thirdly, there's a reason why they tear tickets. So you can't use them more than once. He's got a brand. How how is someone supposed to know that? Oh, oh, it's the first time you've ever used the brand. All right, that's fine. Go on in. You're 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 in boarding group A. Um, Right. Because I I don't know. I didn't know if that attachment had a had a second date attachment on there. You know, (laughs) like those stamps that you can ship the date on. Right. You just right. You turn, just turn the little. Right. Uh, you turn Christ three quarters away, and then turn the wheel. <laughs> yeah, just burn his chest, or you know, right, like under the clavicle, so he could just pull a shirt. And he, you could tell he didn't really want to take his shirt off because he, right. he, he hadn't, he hadn't. He's not, he's not a built guy, by any means. No. So. 
he was it's like well you you may you may train with the guns but you're not hitting the gym that much so <laughs> I, mean, I was like i was like yep tall people they can hide flabs so much easier than us shorties like <laughs> i was like geez you wouldn't have known that until he did they're like oh yeah you're not you're not fit at all are you <laughs> no, i thought you were yeah i figured you'd be in you'd be in better shape but whatever yeah. <laughs> he he has he has been retired that that happens as soon as you retire yeah you start watching Fox News and put on the pounds. So there you go. Well, you know, you're right. It was, it was, yeah. He and his wife like to binge watch everything on Netflix. So, oh, right, that's right. So actually, her dying was probably the best thing that happened to him. Health. <laughs> Get him back in the cardio. Exactly. Oh. So I, I have to say that one of the things that, that impressed me about the film was usually you get action and visual style. And they don't always mix. Like like we mentioned Hal Needham before. And those those films, as far as action, and mostly it was some basic fight choreography and a lot of car stunts. But that stuff was fairly state-of-the-art in the 70s and the 80s. But they, they all look like TV movies. They haven't a, a drama visual style. And this film really was pretty stunning to look at. And and part of it was, as you said, it's it's a stylized, heightened reality. It's not. It's obviously not our New York. So I was I'm impressed that the a director who has that grasp of shooting action can also at least find someone to style his movie and and to shoot it and give it that that sort of painterly look. I, I have to say, I tempted a hotel in New York for a couple of weeks years and years ago. And let me tell you, you do not want to be working the night shift in the room with plexiglass human skulls. It's just creepy and it smells of Windex. The Canyon yeah. of the Crystal Skulls. I didn't know the purpose of that room other than to yeah. crash into every panel. Right, exactly. Because that's, that's one of the things where it's, uh, it's sort of a repeat from the prior film, the film before it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that prior film, it, instead of a maze of crystal skulls, it was a maze of mirrors. Yeah. Okay. It had a very okay. similar look. You know, yeah. and a similar kind of activity where you're going to fall through one of the mirrors and smash everything. And the other thing that Blanche brought up was, so this glass is like sometimes bulletproof and sometimes not. It's, it's apparently not John Wick proof because I was going to say it's bulletproof, not Wick proof. There is wick-proof, a difference. Exactly. Yeah. The interesting thing is how much how much this wears its its forebears, its influences on its sleeve. But the room of mirrors bit in the previous film was a callback. I always thought to the to the Hall of Mirrors fight scene climax in uh, Enter the Dragon. Mm. So they, I don't want to say they ripped it off. They did an homage to it in the previous film. And now they're doing an homage to their own homage. So <laughs> it's it's Ouroboros. It's a snake eating its tail at this point. Not that I didn't find it one, entertaining. One of the things I thought was good, though, is that, you know, you try to make your films interesting and stuff. So you come up with these visual, visually great things that you suddenly look and go, that's totally impractical. <laughs> That's improbable. Nobody's going to do that. And they kind of avoided that in this film and somewhat in the second film. Because in that first film, uh, if you, you remember the first film, Scott, where he's chasing the kid down and he's like going into where into the safe house where he is. And then all of a sudden he, he he's being guarded. They're being guarded all around. All of a sudden he pushes a button and the three cars explode in sequence, not together, in sequence they explode. I said, when did you have time to, to put explosives around the cars in the in the highly guarded place where the kid is? Yeah, if you could so get in there to 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 do that sort of th- that kind of time consuming work, why didn't you just? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So so they uh, they did avoid that in, in the second and definitely in the third film. It wasn't those improbable moments. Yeah. 
Not that many. Yeah, well, really, everything was so improbable just from the standpoint of physics and <laughs> what the human body can take that after a certain point, nothing's improbable. Yes, that that did that. They didn't have a lot of things that unduly taxed your bullshit set. As I said, hit by a car six times. That's got to <laughs> so, be a record. And, and still keeps going. He's like a combination of the Terminator T-1000 and the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> well, not just how many times he was hit by a car. I mean, look at that fall that he takes when oh, yeah. a Lovejoy shoots him. I mean, come on. Yes. Yeah. If that didn't right. kill him. Which, by the way, <clears throat> I totally knew. I, I I totally knew that that was a setup. If only because in the very beginning of the film, when he when he when he shot the 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 one doctor, and the doctor's like, "Make sure make sure you shoot me here, so I don't get." And then he shot him immediately. Lovejoy knew exactly where he was shooting him. Mm-hmm. That's why I was like, "I'm like, oh, this whole thing's a." Set-. That was my, my my one irritant in the story. I was like, "This is so obviously a setup." I felt like I should have been surprised by the quote-unquote portrayal, but like I maybe if I'd seen the previous films, I but I mean still when that happened, I'm like, oh, he's not betraying him. No, he's getting him out. This is uh, this is all set up. You know, I was less surprised by the betrayal than I was dismayed by it. Not not that I necessarily care that much about their relationship, but just because Wick is is not a highly verbal character, and it just helped that there was somebody around who could speak lines convincingly. And right. pleasurably with who he could interact and carry story points. I enjoyed the Ian McShane's. Now it's going to be a whole revenge thing again with him. And so it's, uh, whatever. Yeah. Why can't people have friends? Even <laughs> the most feared assassins on earth. Why? Everybody needs a friend. Well, you know, if you go back to the first film, that, uh, that's Winston told him, this is where it's all going to go. You know, if you follow this path, this is where it's going to end up. And it all came true. Oh, he did. Okay. See, I forgot that. Yeah. Well, you guys did not waste your time then. You got a lot more of it than I did. Did you see the other movies before you saw the third one? No. No. Okay. You saw no, them. I mean, we'd seen them. We'd seen them before, but the, <laughs> yeah, the exactly. day after, yeah, we the day after we'd seen them, they were they were airing them on television. We said, hey, what the hell? Let's just watch. It's funny. Blanche had it on because they were playing it through the day. Mm-hmm. And Blanche had it on. I think it was the second one. And I... Immediately knew it was John Wick because I kept hearing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not seven brides for seven brothers. (laughs) Yes, you're right. Whole scenes, whole sequences of this movie are just, yes, are just what they call, um, what do they call them in uh, uh, ADR and in voice act? uh, Efforts. They're Mm -hmm. just grunts and squeals and thuds and grunts. If it's not porn, it's a Keanu Reeves action movie. Yeah. Why can't it be so both? That, that, that's, that's, his, that's his apparently his signature explanation. It's a thing. That's that's funny because that's how I feel about most of his performances. True. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's let's talk about that for a second because the movie's doing very well, and will prob- there'll probably be a fourth one. So you know, I'm not going to be. They already said there would. Oh, okay. Well, there they, you go. They got it. The May 2021, I believe they said. I think. Okay. Well, I'm not going to be King Canute and try and you know uh, hold back the sea by will alone. Fine. Bring on more wicks. I'll probably go watch them. But it, it just it kind of astonishes me that that um, this is Keanu Reeves, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I am, third franchise after the Matrix 
and uh, Bill and Ted, which my friend David is currently working on down in New Orleans. They're they're shooting it now. So my question is, how does a guy with with uh, spectacularly minimal acting talent and minuscule range manage to remain a movie star for so many years and be part of so many successful franchises and high grossing pictures? I mean, you might disagree. But I've, Keanu Reeves makes Tom Cruise look like Daniel Day-Lewis. So. Yeah, well, it, the, the trick is to just cut most of his lines out of the script. Yeah. No, karma, if you want to go that route. Because supposedly he's this insanely generous, nice person. But his best films, he says very little to nothing. Mm-hmm. Bead, The Matrix. Or just, just give him some action, let him do it, and it's fine. Don't. The more he speaks, the worse it becomes. There's a movie, and I do made in the, uh, when was it, late 40s, I think, uh, with James Mason called Odd Man Out. I don't know if you've seen it. And basically, it's it's another movie that's very much action. But it's basically, it's a, it's the story of, I, I think his name is Johnny McQueen or something. It takes place during the Troubles. He's an IRA gunman. He's been shot by the Black and Tans. And he's, basically, it's his journey through, I don't know, Belfast or Dublin, I can't remember now, uh, trying to find someone who will help him. And he, he doesn't, as I recall, he doesn't have a lot of lines. He doesn't have a lot of interactions. So there's a lot of people closing doors in his face. But one review I read of it said that Mason makes a very sympathetic camera subject. In other okay. words, he, he, gets, he gets the audience on his side without really saying a lot or revealing a lot of personality. And I think somehow that's what Keanu Reeves does. He is sort of likable. I don't know why. He's not like he's not giving you much. He's not like he's, you know, a sly smile or a witty remark. It's just something about him. You, If he's on camera, you want him to be the guy who doesn't get killed. And he's definitely a reluctant hero. Mm-hmm. He and keeps you, saying, no, don't, don't, uh, no, don't do this. Please, don't do this. Please, don't make me come back. Don't, please. I, I think also the, the, the secret to that in the in the context of this franchise is that everyone who's trying to kill him is basically doing it for money and everyone he's killing is either out of self-defense or because he feels wronged and is trying to exact revenge for what they did to him or his wife or his dog or whatever so at least he's got i I guess his motivations pass for morality in this universe Mm -hmm. go ahead i just have more trivia Oh, trivia is great. I love trivia. The book fight scene, they wanted to have someone towering over him. But since Count is like six foot one, they went with a 76ers basketball player who is like seven foot three. Mm-hmm. He's the Serbian guy who I guess has done some acting back home in Serbia. So they're like, great, perfect. Bring him in. So yeah, he's, he's, on the, he's an NBA player. Oh, still? Oh, currently? Yeah, he's current. Yep. He's an active player. Oh. And he can swallow entire books. <laughs> Whether whether he wants to or not. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the director was told that he has like the biggest hands in the NBA. And so he said, oh, I love that. I want to see his hands on his head, holding it like a basketball. <laughs> and so he, he was so enamored with this idea. Of, of So he I guess in several of the fight sequences, you can see his hands on his on Keanu's head multiple times. He does palm his skull. That's true. You've got to be sympathetic when... Uh... Everyone in town is out to kill you. Everyone. And so, you know, you do a little killing back. Come on. It's only fair play. 
That's true. And and in the next film, presumably, there'll be no... Well, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character will be on his side, as he was in The Matrix. But, yeah. uh, yeah. but he's, he's down a friend, so there could be very few people on his side in the next film. So How much longer can Keanu keep this up? Well, I saw an interview with the director, and the director said that they have ideas for several films, and it's like, as long as people keep coming to see them, at least for now, they can keep making them, because they've got several, he said they've got several ideas already planned for the future, if they can do them. I'm sure they have. Because <laughs> <laughs> pot is legal in many states. <laughs> the well, funny- where he said he happy to do the rest of his career making these movies, the director. Okay. Well, they were probably will keep making them for the foreseeable future because another thing about that struck me as good as the movie looked, it's dirt cheap. The budget was something like $20 million, which is ridiculous. That's Um, all? Wow. That's all because it's it's funny. Guns and fight choreography are cheap special effects. They are so much cheaper than than creating CGI worlds. I mean, that's one of the reasons John Woo's. And glass. And glass, right. (laughs) Very cheap. Sometimes it's breakable, sometimes it's not. That's where the expense comes in. That's right. Well, I want to say right now that there's probably no truth to the rumor that he was named because he went down to see the mermaids in Florida. So the John Wick, he go watchy. Oh, ouch. (laughs) The Wick, he watchy wear mermaids. Oh, oh. (laughs) Well, our Florida listeners got a a thrill out of that. Okay, let's go to fascinating, irritating. Uh, let's start with. Did I hear a groan? Was there an audible <laughs> groan there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't. But why don't I ever prepare for this? Right. Well, I just favorite part. Right. Well, we we won't start with you then. Let's start with Jeff because if he hasn't thought of it, he'll make up some bullshit. He's gonna. <laughs> All right. Now, my fascinating thing is is definitely because, like I said, I hadn't seen the other two. I was truly fascinated by coming at this one completely blind, how it built the world. I really, I was very impressed with how within 15 minutes of this movie, I knew exactly what the world was, how it worked. And I gave them points for like, they were able to make a movie that I think seemed like apparently felt satisfying to people who'd seen the previous two, but you could still go into this one blind and still enjoy it at, for a single experience. I was really impressed with that. Irritating thing. This is so cheesy, but it's true. I wanted more puppies. <laughs> more killer puppies? I, no, I, I wanted more scenes with the puppies. I wanted a whip to take the puppies into the final battle. I just, I wanted more of those puppies. Yeah. I've never seen, like, pets used in an action film that way before. Well, what it and reminded me of, actually, was, was video games where you, like, MMOs, where you get pets. And you can send them off to do stuff exactly, but yeah, that was that was that was that was my big irritant was just the, the, the um was the puppies. I I was surprised by how much I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I truly am. I, I it got me. I I am now officially a wickhead. <laughs> a wickhead. All right. All right. I'll go next. Uh, one of the things I like about this franchise is, is, as I mentioned before, how it it's very open about its influences, and if you have any experience with these kind of movies there's there's a lot of i don't even want to say easter eggs but there's a lot of callbacks that are fun i really liked the scene early on when he beats up the basketball player in the new york public library because it reminded me of the kung fu battle between bruce lee and kareem abdul jabbar in game of death Mm -hmm. yep 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 Mm -hmm. although uh there was such a height disparity 
between the two of them that it's all it was it's almost like some kid got two really badly matching action figures and we're making them fight <laughs> irritating is really more of a question is Halle Berry necessary and I don't, <laughs> what a mean thing is she necessary I don't mean I don't mean in life and on I this earth I don't mean yeah I don't mean that I don't mean to the and I don't even mean to the plot I just mean in general because they keep slipping her into these male-dominated franchises, John Wick, James Bond, hoping for a spinoff. And I can't believe anyone is really excited about that prospect. There's a prospect of a spinoff? There was talk of one, that they were that um. her character might get its own spinoff in, this, in the same universe. Um, if she has the puppies, I say go for it. The puppies were yeah. the best thing about her, frankly. Well, I just... but she might come back. I mean, not in this, but I mean, there, there's been talk even before this movie came out for doing the, the continental, like a Showtime TV series or one of the, one of the, one of the HBO Showtime, I don't know, stars. I have heard that. Premium Cable. Thank you. Oh yeah. And it wasn't clear if it was going to follow a assassin or maybe like different assassins, kind of like an anthology kind of thing where the different assassins pass through and you follow someone. And so in that sense, you, you know, so it raises the possibility of guests. And even Keanu maybe showing up a time or two, if if they can get him, so she could come back like that. Well, but she no, was. I, I can't imagine a, a spinoff for her. Right, she was positioned. She was positioned as as the manager of this other continental like hotel. So basically, you're saying she, there's a possibility she could be James Brolin in Hotel, but with everyone a murderer. Right. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Interesting. I would watch that show. All right. <laughs> and and I wanted. I would just want to add that I don't dislike Halle Berry personally I I think I and I don't think I'm saying this because I'm bitter about Catwoman I think it is it might be but but in my own defense I was able to let go of my rage and bitterness and forgive both Keanu Reeves and Drew Barrymore for Babes in Toyland so I don't think it's just that I'm all about holding a grudge okay we've amped long enough what have you got John my fascinating is I am really impressed by how well uh, Keanu Reeves can do that fight choreography because there are several times where and it, where they he would do a flip of somebody tumble onto the ground with them and then immediately have to raise his arm because someone else was going to strike him from another side. I mean, it's like I go tumbling. I I'm just glad I got through that part of it. Never mind. Remember, I have to lift my arm because there's going to be something going to be hitting me. I mean, and that that was done all the way through where there were these complex uh, fight sequences where multiple things were happening and he just just deals with one and has to realize another one's happening immediately. He did it very well. And didn't and didn't break a hip. <laughs> as exactly. far as we know. And actually I have two irritatings. One is when someone tells you go out in the desert until you can't walk anymore, until you're almost dead, and then keep on walking and then maybe they'll come to you. That's what they say when they tell you, just get lost. <laughs> you don't actually go out and do it. You know, actually goes, hey, good idea. I'm going to go out in the desert until I can't walk anymore. I don't know. These are the the kind of directions I get from Waze all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and the other thing was, if you have a limited supply of armor-piercing ammunition, don't keep firing at a guy as he's falling over on the the platform. (laughs) Just keep on shooting. He's already gone. That's a good point. It seems like they got caught up in the moment. Yeah, just bam, 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 bam. What is that? I just can't stop killing. It's like eating Lay's <laughs> potato chips. <laughs> can't just shoot one. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Blanche. Uh, okay, so my irritating is 
has to do with the the little bits of story we got. Yes, it, that that walking in the middle of the desert Bedouin thing really was kind of ridiculous, and I didn't love it. But when he's finally there talking to the man in the high chair, he asks him why, right? And he talks about his it's about his wife, and he doesn't want to forget. And I guess because if he dies, he's going to forget or something. I don't know. So then he <laughs> sacrifices, you know, so in order to come back, he has to do this task, w- which he sacrifices not only a finger, but his wedding band, which I imagine for this man, if you know, you know, knowing how it all started was about his wife. He got out for his wife, you know, and then she died. And then the dog was from his wife. And so that just represented, he said, her the hope and was killed. And, and so so he sacrifices the wedding band, which I think is huge for him, I would imagine. It seems to have built up, been built up like that. And then to go to the Continental to go kill Winston. And Winston's like, yeah, or you can help me out. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and it just, it just didn't seem right. It should, you know, because uh, he already gave up so much. I, I don't know. It just, I mean, I know it would have been give. give Going through with it and then then being in in servitude to the man in the high chair, I guess, for the rest of his life. But I don't know. That just it didn't jive with me. I didn't love it. I completely agree with you. The fact that he cut off a finger was kind of shocking. But we have seen that in other movies, in Yakuza movies, and the, yeah. But the fact that he it was a surprise that he cut off his ring finger, but it made no narrative sense to me. You're right. It contradicted what he said his motivation was and what the film said his motivation was. Keep the ring finger. That was just a shock. That was just so we'd have a shock and we get to see him pull pull the ring off a severed finger. Also, that's probably some of the some of the few continuing CGI effects in the film because once that finger was cut off i kept watching for it just to see yeah and uh in a pre-cgi era movie if that was a plot point where someone loses a finger he'd be wearing a glove on that hand for the rest of the movie right you know he's he said to the guy that he did it for love and then he gets off the finger saying so not that much i guess yeah uh, it wasn't not that much love i mean my definition of love may differ from yours I guess he said, well, I still have that picture in the library. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, just, yeah I would have maybe been uh, a little more creative with it and just like sacrificed my library card. <laughs> <laughs> now he can't get that picture. Exactly. No. Still would have hurt. Still would have hurt, but I can't check out books. So. <laughs> uh, okay. And then the fascinating was is that it, as little story as there is in these movies, and even though the action is really great, it's not a great movie, but it was entertaining and it was funny. And I, I ended up having a good time and it's and I wouldn't necessarily to recommend to anybody who says, oh, is that a good movie? Uh, maybe <laughs> sometimes yeah. if you're a, you know, if you like that kind of movie, it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. But I know plenty of people who go, no, that's horrible. I hate that. So like, like Mary might, mm-hmm. you know, not her thing. So, yeah, so I'm I'm fascinated how for me it was still after this is the third installment of not very much story, still entertaining. And yes, I would see the fourth one. So that is what I find fascinating, that somehow it, it, it keeps me wanting to come back anyway. All right. Thank you very much, guys. And hey, oh, we did it under an hour. Great. Really helps to keep the running time of these things down when we review movies that uh, have almost no story. <laughs> really Something to think about. All right. <laughs> Also, also, if there's we, we don't complain about them a lot because when I think about it, Justice League didn't have that much story, 
But that thing, our recording, original recording was like three hours long. So, yep, 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 yep. All right. Thanks very much to the new movie crew. Thanks very much to Keanu Reeves for not breaking a hip because I would have felt bad about going to his movie then. And thank you for listening. We will be back in two weeks with something else. I'm not going to announce it anymore because we never come back with the thing we say we're going to come back with. (laughs) It'll be a surprise to you and to us. And until later, later.